Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 212, air date January 3rd, 2018. This is the commercial free Anna Kate show. And now here's your host, Anna Kate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, I have on Dr. Shiva Ayodore, who is hoping to drain the swamp in Massachusetts as he runs for Senate against Elizabeth Warren. Um, if I go through his resume, honestly, I'll be here for quite some time. But he's also an inventor, scientist, an entrepreneur who teaches at MIT. Dr. Shiva, welcome to the show. Great, and I used to teach at MIT. Right oh, now, I'm running a company called Cytosol. No, no worries. You're CEO of Cytosol, right? Cytosol. Yep. Okay, awesome. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But um, so you're also a fellow first generation immigrant into America. I came from Russia, my family went through communism, and you are from India, and you, uh, your family has been through the caste system. Would you tell people some, an intro about you, why you are running for politics now that you are in America? Sure. You know, uh, you know I originally, like you said, came from India. India, I grew up there in Bombay which is a very, very cosmopolitan city. You know, you live in New York. New York is a melting pot. You know, Bombay is like an industrial furnace. You know, every religion, every caste, uh, hundreds of different languages. But I also grew up in a small village in deep South India. So as a child, I experienced not only sort of the, uh, you know, the, the system of India, which is essentially countries within countries in some sense, but I also experienced the diversity of India, but also one of those diversities was the Indian caste system. You know, the caste system is a function of where you are born determines your success, not what you do by and large. Um, so that was a caste system. But I also grew up at a time in India where my grandmother was a village healer and she practiced a very uh, traditional form of Indian medicine. So I saw this woman with no degrees who worked 15, 16 hours in the fields also heal people using traditional systems of medicine. So my motivation was medicine, but also to understand why there was injustice in the world. That's what brought my family to India in 1970. I was a seven-year-old kid. You know, went through the public school systems in the, in New Jersey. Patterson is one of the poorest cities uh, in the United States. Went, you know, we settled there. Then, in about four years, we went through four different public school systems. By the time I was 14, I was one of those overachieving kids. Not only the fact that I was into sports and started my own uh, landscaping business, but I also finished calculus by the uh, ninth grade, 14 and ended up getting a chance to go to NYU to study computer science in this very intensive program. After I finished that, Anna, I went on um, to finish high school, but while I was doing high school, I had a full-time job at a, what, a university now known as Rutgers Medical School where I invented the first email system as a 14-year-old kid. And um, went on to MIT, did 
you know, multiple degrees, four different degrees, including my PhD. I started seven different companies. In fact, the company I'm running now is called Cytosol, which models the human cell on the computer so we can eliminate the need for animal testing. And we're discovering new medicine, new drugs, helping pharmaceutical companies and nutraceutical companies um, develop drugs faster and cheaper. So that's what I'm doing now. Wow. But sort of the journey through the process of immigration, education, and innovation that I've gone through. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you talk about that you finished calculus at such a young age. It's something that a lot of, a lot, actually a lot of Americans really don't, uh, don't really believe and don't really understand. I remember when I was telling my friends that in Russia, we finished calculus really young. I mean, it's, we're, we're, it's, it's much faster. There's, there's no such thing as no child left behind. If you, if you don't finish something, you, 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 you stay behind and you finish, you finish your schoolwork. And, um, and, and you make sure that you catch up to everyone, you know, here it's a little different. And we, we, you know, we learn mathematics a lot, a lot early in life. And, and, and it's, it's, it's something really important education, obviously, in, in, in really targets the kids to really t learn when they're really young. Um, I think that's, that's, that's fascinating. So you finished, so you invented email when you're 14. Can you talk a little, a little bit more about that? Because I know there are, I know there's a lawsuit you just won. So can you, can you tell us, you know, yeah, how the, it came to be? The invention of, yeah. The invention of email by a 14 year old Indian American kid in Newark, New Jersey, anyone who really wants to tell the truth of it can win a Pulitzer on it, but here's the background on it. You know, in 1978, Anna, when you go back and you look at what was going on, then a computer would fill the size of a whole room. You know, a computer, your, your iPhone has more computing power than a computer of those days. But the other interesting thing was in 1978, who used computers? They were typically, uh, I hate to say this, old white men with lab coats, you know, these very technical guys. You had to have a PhD. Using a computer, you had to know lots of cryptic codes, et cetera. It was not accessible to everyday people. Um, when I was working in that medical school, the challenge I was given, if you went to most organizations, be it the government or any business, in this case, this was a medical school, which had three campuses in Newark, Piscataway, and New Brunswick, and my mentor uh, challenged me to convert what was called the old inner office mail system uh, into the electronic version. And just to give you an idea of this, if you turn back the clock to 78, um, what roles did women have, separate from men who use computers? Women could either be a secretary, a teacher, a housewife, or a nurse. Well, in that university, all the secretaries were always women, you know, thousands of offices, and the secretary always had a physical desktop. She had an inbox, an outbox, she had folders, file folders, steel metal case folders, she had a trash can underneath her desk. I hope you're getting the idea. She had a typewriter. She would write up this thing called a memo, which had two from subject carbon copy. It was literally a carbon paper that she put in. And she put these memos in this inner office mail envelope, put them into these pneumatic tubes, and, and they sent them around the office. It was the entire system. I was asked to convert to the electronic form. And uh, now there were simple methods of exchanging text. You see, that's not what we're talking about. That goes to like the Morse code or, you know, sending did, 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 you know, Morse code. Um, but that, and even on our own computers, and you could send little text messages. We're talking about converting that entire system, inbox, outbox, folders, forwarding, registered mail. No one had done that to the electronic version. So as a 14-year-old kid, I wrote 50,000 lines of code, called it email, which was not an obvious term, a term that never existed before in the English language. Yeah, how, that Point two. Yeah. how, how did you come up with email? Yeah. It's a very interesting term, question because the Fortran programming language, which is really for scientists, 
uh, only allowed six characters for variables. And the operating system, you know, I wrote this on an HP mini computer, only allowed five characters, which meant that you could only use five characters. And probably it was eight characters, I may use Electromail or nine, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But email was a choice for that. And um, so that's what I did, uh, invented it, it was used, it was successful, uh, hundreds of people used it in that university. And later on, when I went to MIT, I was a freshman, when I came in as a freshman to MIT, in the front page of the MIT newspaper, they highlighted three kids, and one of them was, this, was me who had invented this email system. I went on to the president's home for dinner, because I was elected student body president for the freshman class, and Paul Gray, who's a president, said, you know, it's unfortunate that you cannot patent software. You see the guys in Washington, most of these politicians know no technology, no science, no math. They had thought software was sheet music. So in 1980, which I didn't know, you know, I invented email in 78, they had changed the copyright law of 1976, which allowed you to, you know, copyright books and film, et cetera. So you could use copyright law to protect software. And that, in 1980, uh, that became known as the Computer Act of 1980. Now, I didn't know this in 81. I came to find out about this from the president of MIT. And he said, you should copyright it because the Supreme Court doesn't recognize software patents. So you had to write away for the form. There was no PDFs, no internet. You got the form a few weeks later. You filled it out. You had to send in. I sent in all my 50,000 lines of code. It was not simply putting a C with a circle around it, Anna, as some of the ignorant fake news media has tried to denigrate that too. Um, and on August 30th, 1982, I was issued the first U.S. copyright for email, officially recognizing me as the inventor of email. So the facts are pretty straightforward. I called it email, wrote all the code, and got the first U.S. copyright. Absolutely no controversy uh, to anyone who looks at it objectively. Uh, didn't make a penny off of this because copyright only protects a literal work. Only 1994. Did the patent? Did the Supreme Court start recognizing patents? The Federal Court of Appeals, um, and you can't patent it because you've already disclosed it, right? But I went on to make money in many, many other ways, a lot of money, doing many other companies. The interesting thing is, fast forward to 2012, uh, my dear mom was dying of pulmonary fibrosis, actually in 2011, and in a beautiful suitcase she had left all those artifacts, Anna, the computer code, everything. The senior editor of Time Magazine reviewed all of this and he wrote a beautiful article called The Man Who Invented Email. And then three months later, the Smithsonian honored me when they accepted all these materials on February 16, 2012. And that's when the proverbial shit hit the fan because a Washington Post reporter wrote this great article saying Shiva Idre uh, honored as the inventor of email. And that's when the military industrial complex, sort of the goons in the academic elite, who had rewritten the story of email saying simple text messaging was email. Uh, this was like a new skull was found in Africa. Mm -hmm. And then obviously uh, we fought back and uh, the Gawker case was a big win. Uh, they pulled down three defamatory articles and now we're also going after another organization called Tector. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the invention of email is really not about me or the invention of email, but the, rea but the reality that invention and great innovation just doesn't occur at MIT or the military big corporation, that it occurs all over the world. You know, Newark, New Jersey, by the way, a 14-year-old boy is the one who invented TV, um, you know, in uh, Franklin, Idaho. Mm -hmm. Took him 60 years to work through the legalities and finally get credit for that. But I think there's this larger notion, which is driven by the academic elites, that after you go to MIT, or you can be a dropout of, out of Harvard, right, that's cool, then you can be branded as an innovator. But if you did something 
in Newark, New Jersey, in the ghettos of Newark, New Jersey, that's not acceptable. The problem they have with me, Anna, is that I invented many things after that. I was recognized for many other things. But the day I said email was invented in Newark, that throws a big wrench into this narrative of where does innovation come from. For that matter, who's intelligent, who isn't. And that's the modern caste system we have in America. So that's what the invention of email is really about. Yeah, and I was actually, I was going to ask you, why do you think that these, the, you know, this, this industrial military complex and these elites don't want to, don't want to give credit to a 14 year old boy? And you answered it exactly, exactly the reason why I, I think that they, they don't like to give um, credit to, you know, the boy that invented TV and internet. Right, but there's a deeper narrative here, right? So if you pull up, pull up the hood and you go and you peel away the onion one layer, this is what you find out. You see, when President Eisenhower uh, left Washington, uh, after he was president, the, he gave a farewell speech, 1961. And I think he did it after he was leaving office so he wouldn't get killed. And he said that the biggest danger to America is a military industrial complex. What he meant was a collusion between military and industry, but actually in his original speech, it said military industrial academic complex. Um, Senator William Fulbright, uh, about seven years later, he gave a famous speech and he called it the military industrial academic complex. That's this triangle of, you may even call it the deep state today. So here's, here's the nonsense that they breed, that they bamboozled Americans into or brainwashed them, that we fund war and we should be so happy that we get an iPhone out of it. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But the yeah. fact is, so they have conjured in people's ideals that, oh, you f don't worry, you're funding war, but you'll get innovation out of it, when it's complete nonsense. The reality is you don't need to fund war to get innovation. Innovation is in everyone's DNA. It can occur in Newark, it can occur at MIT, but it can also occur in Franklin, Idaho. So they brainwash people that to accept, oh, fund war and sickness, by the way, and then you will get innovation, mm -hmm. uh, okay. which is completely absurd because the cost of producing innovation, what occurred in Newark, is the right way to do it where you fund a lot of small innovators all over the world. Um, and that's why the military industrial complex fears the invention of email, because the fact is email got invented by a kid in Newark. That means you don't have to fund this massive war machine. And if you really think about it, the entire thing that, for example, someone like Trump fought or someone like even Kennedy fought was a military industrial complex, which, which runs by war and sickness. They profit from war and they profit from sickness. Monsanto is a great example of it. You know, one of the organizations that I did research to expose how most of the genetically engineered food uh, is not, has no safety assessment standards. You know, in Russia, Russia has banned GMOs in a rightful, uh, rightful way. Yeah, you're considered a terrorist if you actually grow GMO food, which I have a quick, quick question about. But I, I wanted to add to this. I think I think also the reason why the why uh, the the industrial media uh, media military complex is 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 against giving credit to 14 year old boys who don't have to go to school and, and high school and college in order to um, in order to be an innovator, in order to be a creator, in order to be an inventor is because it bursts their bubble of this college bubble that where, where it tells kids you have to go to Harvard, like you said, and complete all these courses in order to be smart enough to invent and become an inventor. And and again, it bursts their college bubble. And there's a great book out there, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, if anyone ever heard of it, um, you know, where he, he talks, he talks, uh, Robert Kiyosaki talks about just this in that you don't, you can be creative and you, uh, many high school dropouts are CEOs of companies, um, but obviously you have many degrees. But you, before you even had it, yeah. you know, you, you were able to create email again at the age of 14. Yeah, 
I think in my case, what's fascinating is I didn't even want to go to college. It was very, very weird. You know, my guidance counselors in college never helped me. Um, and I was wanting to be a designer and a carpenter. I didn't want to go to, uh, I didn't even know what MIT was. My mom had helped these two homeless women who didn't have a place to stay. Two weeks before I applied, one of them had a boyfriend who said, you should go to this place. And he said, go to MIT. And I thought it was like a mental institute because it had Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Didn't want to apply. He wouldn't leave my home until I took a paper and I filled it out with a pencil. And I remember getting accepted when I came to MIT. I thought it was the weirdest bunch of people I've ever seen, really unhealthy people, and I had no interest in coming. Then a teacher said, oh, yeah, you should go. You'll like Boston. Boston's is the Athens of the world. That's what compelled me to come. But, you know, most of my life at MIT was spent fighting. You know, I had enough, enough credits to graduate MIT in two years, but I was really interested in understanding systems. You know, what was a caste system? I studied that. I ran, I started uh, our own radical newspaper on campus, started exposing Democrats and Republicans. There's a picture of me, um, you know, helping organize the union workers at MIT, exposing uh, the fact that MIT was funding apartheid in South Africa. I was the only student who protested the war in Iraq. So I learned how to be an activist at MIT. I decided I'd get those degrees because I really wanted to fight these guys, Anna. So that way the degrees were more sheepskin so one day I could say F off to them when they said, who are you? Exactly, and that's the, against them. Exactly. So, you know, but to your point, there was no reason I needed to go to MIT to validate my intelligence. But the reality is you live in this very screwed up world where people look at your resume. And now they have a problem with Shivaya Duray because he's got these four degrees and he's not willing to be a good Indian, you know? Most Indians, by and large, are trained to be sort of sit in the lotus position, and there's narratives they build around Indians who are, you know, uh, quiet, etc. So when the email controversy came, I think what really bothered these people was that I was willing to fight back, you know, and and uh, I think that's what bugs these guys because they like to put people in cubby holes. You're a nerd, you behave like this. You're an Indian, you behave like this. You're a Russian, you behave like this. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They build these segre segregation narratives. And I don't live by any of, the, any of those. So I think that's what really bugs these people. And for me, this election is really about exposing both parties and eviscerating the establishment, which really has nothing to do with people. Exactly. So you have career politicians who run. Many of them don't know science. They don't know engineering. They, they can't even fix anything. They've never even created a job. And yet these people are the ones that confuse the masses or the people to electing them. So those days have got to end. Yes, and this is exactly what makes you such a great leader is that people want someone to fight for them. People want, people want leaders to not fight for the establishment, but to fight for the country and to fight for Massachusetts for, for, for first state, which is a big reason why, why Trump won. Um, but I have a quick question about Monsanto before, before, we, before we tackle the swamp herself, uh, Elizabeth Warren. So with your research with Monsanto, is it true? I read an article a long time ago with that, um, that, with, that with GMOs that they, did, that they did studies on rats and the third generation of rats after, after ingesting pure GMO food, they, were, they became infertile. Did you ever come across that research? Yeah, yeah. so there's a bunch of research on this. So here's the reality, right? Um, first is getting back to the academic complex. If you're a, uh, a scientist in any major institution, you write any articles against Monsanto, forget about getting tenure, you're basically destroyed. That's the first thing everyone needs to understand. There's no academic free speech anymore. That died probably 70 
years ago. Most academics are paid to play science. So those academics who write that, who do that work, for example, Sarah Lini is the one who did the stuff with the rats where he showed the cancer forming. I fortunately had enough money to start my own institution. We wrote a series of five papers showing that GMO, uh, it, uh, Monsanto has basically bamboozled the world in collusion with the FDA to tell people that, you know, when they put out a GMO soy, they're saying it's the same as organic soy, that they're substantially equivalent. So based on how they decide their equivalent, which is all done completely by self-reporting, that's how these things get out there. So we completely blew the lid off on that. And we showed that, for example, GMO soy is completely different than organic soy. In fact, there's a chemical in there called glutathione, which is the most important antioxidant for human life and plant life. And GMO soy has 250% less, and, and we validated that in multiple ways now. So the reality is more and more, um, you know, when you look at Monsanto, they run two things, right? They create the pesticide Roundup, which is called glyphosate, which is a weed killer. And then they create their own version of seeds like GMO soy, which can defend against their pesticides. So they force farmers to buy their seeds and then they force farmers to buy their pesticides. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the network that they've done. So the, the pesticides cause major cancer. In fact, they've been found in women's tampons now, you know, parts per billion, it doesn't matter. And, and the recent research that just came out in Nature said that ultra low levels of glyphosate, which is Monsanto's pesticide, um, act, uh, herbicide to be specific, actually causes fatty liver disease, ultra low levels. You see, but the reality is the major institutions do not report on this because they're pay to play. In fact, exactly. after our research came out, and after a nonprofit group on the West Coast did a FOIA against a professor at University of Florida and at Harvard, it was shown how these scientists were literally colluding with Monsanto getting paid. So that's, that's what we call about the military industrial academic complex, right? Mm -hmm. And Monsanto is, is the ultimate example of it. They're the company that profited from war in Vietnam, you know, dropping 80 million uh, tons or pounds of uh, 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 Agent Orange you know, for, for defoliants on the Vietnamese, which also hurt our soldiers. And then they moved that engine to create pesticides and now genetically engineered foods. And I'm telling you, we're at a point in human history, the most important thing everyone should really start thinking about is what are we putting in our mouth? You know, yeah. real foods, you know, ultimately, you know, one single, if I were to put our campaign into one, you know, platform, if someone said, what's, it would be real food. Real food is real medicine. And if you start looking at the politics of food, everything unravels. You start seeing Monsanto, you start seeing the pharma companies, you start seeing big hospitals, you start seeing how Obamacare, Romney care cares nothing about health. It's all actually about destroying our health, creating big agrobiotech, creating big farm. And ultimately, food is one of the most important ways everyone can take control of their lives. And so uh, one of our big parts of our campaign is real food is real medicine. And then we talk about real jobs, you know, real education and real health. But everyone listening out there, we got to really understand that food is not a left issue. It's not a right issue. It's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. It's a human issue. And the military industrial complex and Republicans and Democrats have colluded to poison all of us.
Absolutely. And I 100% agree with you. And and I, I would also say that we have to eat food the natural way, the way that God intended, the way that God has created nature and our food and our fruits and all that naturally. I mean, there's, there's so much evidence out there that points to the fact that there's something we're doing wrong. There's a reason why there's this, this huge amount of, of cancer, of autism, of all these diseases that, that, you know, one in three people have cancer nowadays. I mean, it's, it's, it wasn't like that hundred, you know, hundred, hundreds of years ago, but also, you know, four you know, uh, four or five decades ago, it wasn't that way. So there's something that we've changed. And what have we introduced? Well, you can deduce it to one of them being Monsanto and uh, GMO food. So speaking of Monsanto, you're 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 fighting against a woman who says she's for the people now, but she voted for the Monsanto Protection Act. Which can you can you tell people about that? Yeah. So so any any people listening out there. Uh, whether you're a liberal, whether you're a Trumper, wherever you are, everyone should understand that one of the big dynamics that when you really look at Elizabeth Warren is she's part of the not so obvious establishment. You know, one of the things I learned as a young activist was you have the establishment, those people who just want to keep things the way they are, they want to screw everyone, they care about privilege, control, and profit, right? They're pretty obvious. Hillary Clinton in the last election was that. Everyone helped her out. Then you have the agents of change. People who are on the street want to fundamentally change things. And they may have contradictory views, but they're everyday people fighting for their voice to be heard. And then you have something far more insidious, what I call the not-so-obvious establishment. Elizabeth Warren is an example of that. Jesse Jackson was an example of that in 1984. These people will run a campaign saying, you know, we, we want to fight for you. They'll use the word revolution, change, hope, like Obama did. And this happens on the left and the right, by the way. But at the end of the day, what they really do, they exist to suck the energy out of people on the street and funnel it back to the establishment. Elizabeth Warren is a, a fine example of that. She says she's against big government, big companies, but she's the one who signed the Monsanto Protection Act. What is a Monsanto Protection Act? Well, it's fascinating. It got shoved into a bill that Obama pushed through because they didn't have enough appropriations money. And what the, act, uh, what the act says is that if a federal judge, for example, finds that one of Monsanto's uh, products or their uh, agriculture products actually causes harm to human health and they put an injunction, which means they stop it from going to market, the USDA, the head of the USDA can overrule the federal judge, which means the USDA is under the executive branch. And that's what occurred during Obama's administration. So you don't have separation of powers anymore. You have the executive branch can overrule a judicial decision. And that's what Elizabeth Warren voted for. And she also screwed over Bernie Sanders. He had to put forward a GMO labeling bill to give state rights. She moved it back to the federal level and screwed up the GMO labeling bill also. But by the way, this is what the not so obvious establishment does. They speak a good game, but ultimately they stand for consolidation of power, be it back to big agrobiotech, big uh, business, and taking it away from, uh, in this case, uh, judges and local people. Yeah, I mean, but that's what Elizabeth says. And by the way, we have the same people on the Republican side, too. I mean, you can look what's happening, which, you know, what Trump's been fighting. We have to move away from thinking Democrat and Republican, left and right, Republic, you know, conservative and liberal. These are all BS terms that the two heads of the serpent have created. So they divide us on issues that are frankly irrelevant. When you look at Monsanto, it's not a left issue. It's not a right issue. It's an issue of the fact that a member of the military industrial academic complex 
pollutes us, profits from it, and is frankly destroying the entire food chain end to end. Definitely, uh, and and it's it's actually a really good point. Is that there 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 are so many issues that are so many non-issues that are made issues by both Democrats and Republicans that clearly don't speak to the American people that we really don't care about, you know. And we we've we've seen that on the campaign trail with Trump, um, and it's 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 interesting how um, how politicians just as Elizabeth Warren is so as you said she's she's a lawyer she's a she's a career politician and she's the establishment so you know they they use this play on words and this manipulation of 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 of, of terminologies and, and words such as you know we're going to fight for you and I'm I'm here for you we're going to we're, we're going to beat them we're going to beat these who are you beating exactly you're part of the establishment if you're fighting for major corporations such as Monsanto you are not on our team because if you really were on our team, you'd care about the health and the safety of not just us, but our kids and our families. So that's automatically uh, a huge red flag. So what what issues do you hope to tackle if you you know get into the Senate and um, and, and 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 bring awareness in, in Massachusetts? Is there, is there anything specific? Yeah, I mean, let's let's start. I mean, so you know what's interesting? I'm a systems guy, right? So if you start with what you put in your mouth, let's start with food, okay? If you unravel food, it leads to all the other issues in, in a fascinating way. So number one issue is we need to make sure that we uh, inspire and re-enable local farmers. You know, what Amazon is doing with the consolidation of whole foods, they're going to do industrialized organic food. It's going to be industrialization of food, which does not help local. Food, you know, is an amazing thing because it points to the fundamentals how nature operates. Things is Things are supposed to be decentralized, which means local, local, local. Food is supposed to be part of your lifestyle. It's not supposed to come out of cans. It's not supposed to be grown, you know, 10,000 miles away and shipped here. That's not how food is supposed to be. You're supposed to take time to create it. And from that process, you get health. So number one is we need real food. We need buy local, buy farm. Uh, you know, we need to support local farmers, etc. Because real food is real medicine. So now if you unravel that, uh, and you follow that through, one of the other interesting things that comes in is that the the deep state and the military industrial complex profits from the industrialization of food, right? And what does that mean? Well, the industrialization of food, like you just said, leads to, you know, the number one cause of cancer is food. It's a food that we eat. So now you're eating garbage food. I'll give you an example. Farm-raised salmon, which everyone's now thinking is good. Everyone says salmon is good. Well, farm-raised salmon is the same from an inflammation standpoint as eating you know, a pound of fries, believe it or not, versus wild salmon. Mm-hmm. So just because you're eating salmon, the industrialized version of salmon is actually harmful to your health. So what we've done is the industrialization of food is actually creating products that you have to start wondering, okay, I'm eating an apple, but where is it coming from? So that's creating big agrobiotech. So that needs to be demolished. We need to go back to decentralization of food. But if you're eating food the way we are and the way we're consuming, that leads to the need for pharmaceuticals and you need to go to the hospital because the entire medical care system was set up for crisis management. And this is one of the fascinating things. You know, I speak at major medical conferences. Um, I just spoke at a major blood and transplant conference and I was sitting around the leading guys in the world. And I asked them, how do you price for a transplant? They go, we don't know. No one knows how things are priced. And as you unravel it, you find out that insurance companies are in collusion with pharma and hospitals to keep the prices high, Anna. Mm-hmm. Why do they want to keep the prices high? So you say, holy shit, you know, if I get this disease or that disease or that, I need insurance. 
right? Mm -hmm. So the entire model is you want to keep all of these procedure costs high so you buy insurance and so they get more and more premiums and that's why insurance companies are reporting record profits okay there's no competition because obama there's, there's, was no competition and they force you to people the reason people get insurance is oh god forbid i need this procedure it's going to be expensive so they are artificially keeping the cost of drugs high and the costs of hospital procedures high look hospitals produce burgers and their burger, they say, costs 100 bucks, but when you really look at it, it actually costs 10 cents. So the insurance companies and them collude, so you buy insurance. So the solution to that, I have a solution for this. It took me a while to figure out this nonsense, is we need to completely destroy the old insurance models, Obamacare, whatever it is. It's all garbage, complete garbage. We need to provide what I call crisis care insurance. You pay maybe 1,000 bucks a year, so 50 to you know 80 bucks a month, and that protects you for crisis things. God forbid, accident, major procedures. My view is everything else should be direct pay because you're already paying 25, 50 bucks when you go to see a doctor anyway, the copay. And that should be all local. We need to create more doctors locally. And this gets back into, so real health means we have to get rid of the old model of health insurance. We need to destroy all these insurance companies. They all suck. And they're profiting from people's sickness. And then that transitions to the fact that we don't have enough doctors. We've destroyed the local doctor, like my grandmother was a village doctor. In the old days, even in 1970s, you went to your local doctor. He looked at you, looked at your skin, and he would diagnose you. It was kept local. We need to create more local competition. Over 200,000 doctors since Obamacare have had to join big hospitals. They can't run their local practice because of the regulations. So one way to remove that is no more reason to go to four years college to go to medical school. Russia doesn't do it. India doesn't do it. Other major countries, Great Britain doesn't do it, mm -hmm. Australia. So that, that way you can go right to medical school. You don't have a massive debt forcing you to join a big hospital. You can be a local provider. So the solution is pretty clear when you really look at it rationally. Real food, we need to create real jobs, which means more doctors, more Votex schools, like you were saying. Uh, in Massachusetts, for every 17 skilled job openings, only one person is skilled. Meanwhile, these idiotic politicians, left and right, say lower taxes, raise taxes. A monkey can do that. What we really need to do is we need to create, at any point, more people can actually pay taxes. Only 10% of the U.S. population is contributing to 80% of the tax revenue we collect. We don't have enough people who are working, who, have, who can make 50, 100, whatever, 100, 200K. We need more uh, plumbers, electricians, x-ray techs. You go down the list, the jobs are there. But the politicians, because of their inanity, you know, most of these guys are frankly stupid people who don't care. They, you know, they just manipulate people on issues, like you said, that are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to create more jobs. So one of the solutions is more Votech schools in inner cities, unleash skilled labor. So skilled labor, real food, you know, eliminate this old model of, you know, uh, health insurance companies. And you'll see so many ways that we can, you know, unleash, uh, you know, American innovation as a part of that. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion on Trump's uh, tax reform bill? Well, you know, I, I, well, one of the things he's trying to do is reduce a corporate tax, which is good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's heading in the right direction. Look, you clearly uh, have to allow businesses. Businesses are the engine of growth, particularly small businesses. You know, I've run seven different small businesses. I can tell you, 
taxes are important, but I can tell you the more important thing is am I hiring someone who's skilled, who can do the job. You know, a lot of people we hire today, millennials, they actually don't have skills. They're educating, getting out of college with forty, fifty, hundred thousand dollar loans, but they can't write an email properly. Um, they don't have basic skills on how to communicate to people. These are what I look as an employer. Obviously, you want uh, tax credits for this because you're the one taking all the risks. You're hiring someone, right? You're giving jobs. So small businesses, particularly, which are you know the LLCs, which he's talking about, pass through. You know, I have a number of companies which are LLCs or S corps, which is what you typically start. Uh, you want to enable them to not be burdened by tax because they're taking massive risk. As an entrepreneur, you're the one who's taking a lot of risk, and they should be incented in many ways as possible, not burdened with excessive taxes. Exactly. And when you have this extra residual income, you're able to then uh, invest. You're able to invest in companies. You're able to invest in startups. You're, 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 you're able to create more jobs. And this is something that you, th th this is this is a, a major difference between you and Elizabeth Warren is that you're actually an entrepreneur. You actually create jobs. Yeah. I mean, I mean, no one knows. It's one of the most amazing feelings. You know, these lawyer, lobbyists, career politicians, they have no idea of actually you come up with an idea for something, you know, out of your brain, the thought of email or the thought of a, you know, the other company I did was to analyze email for the White House. We grew that to around $250 million in value. The point is you are using your mind and your body to create something that did not exist before. And then you're finding customers for it and then they use it and they pay you. It's, it's magic. And the process of doing that None of these people know anything about, and it's absolutely a disgrace that any of them are even allowed to step foot in and govern our nation. They have nothing, they know nothing about creating anything. They know nothing about science. They know nothing about engineering. These guys don't know the difference between a V6 or an inline six. They don't know how to fix anything. We should get rid of all of them. You know, for me, you know, I know what it takes, you know, working 18, 20 hour days to create something then getting a customer, keeping a customer, learning how to hire people, learning how to fire people. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you got to do many, many things. You got to be like a diagolith. Mm -hmm. And these guys know nothing. They they're lawyer, lobbyists, whoever gives them money, they have to, they don't know anything about engineering. They don't know anything about an issue like Monsanto. They don't know anything about fundamental issues. So they have tiers of political consultants who are being paid by lobbyists to tell them what positions to take. Yeah, so we need to get rid of all of them. They're all criminals, and that was not the vision of the founders of this country, why your parents came here or why my parents came here. These people are leeches, they're parasites, and I have, you know, you know, any other words I can say probably, you know, would, would be high, expletives, but, you know, they're complete parasites. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. they shouldn't even, you know, no one should even be considering them for office because all they do is learn how to manipulate, manipulate, manipulate. That's what they do. They have consultants who make money off donations that they're getting. You know, nearly 80% of the monies that people give to these political campaigns are going to TV, the consultants. Very little really goes to anything useful. We're going to run our campaign probably for one-seventh of what anyone's going to do because we've created our own technology. We've figured it out that the whole thing is a complete racket. It's a complete, complete disgusting racket, and we need to get rid of all of these career politicians. We need to ask them. Their resume should be... How many jobs have you created? You know, what have you actually created? Show me a problem that you've actually solved. You know, mm -hmm. can you actually, uh, do you know any math? Do you know what a balance sheet is? Do you know how a cash flow works? Can you actually read a cash flow statement? 
And if they don't know any of these, they should be fired right off the spot. They're unqualified. Definitely. And do you know how to manage money? I mean, that's I mean, this is something that as an entrepreneur, you, you, you know about this is some this is a big reason why Donald Trump is in the White House, because we want we, we have to we have to, you know, decrease the deficit that we have. We have to learn how to manage money. And we have someone in there who we finally said, you know what, we can take care of it because has experience. You have experience. I mean, this is something these are real issues that Americans are dealing with. This is real issues that we need to come after. And this is something that, again, as a career, your point to this is exactly why the founding fathers created the constitution the way that it is is because back in the day we would have we would have citizens that would go for a term would would um uh for two terms would come in and out and we would have we'd have a lot of citizens come in and take and take charge and take turns it was and it was never all it was never about career politician and this is exactly what it is right now and this is exactly what elizabeth warren is it's the establishment this so for example like they don't they, they don't hate donald trump they hate donald trump because of the fact that american people are sick and tired of the establishment and are sick and tired of the lies and the bs and frankly the corruption and collusion between these big pharma companies um and and big business and we they're they're in bed with it and people are tired of it and so um this is something that is really important and i'm really happy that you're running against elizabeth warren we have such a smart leader who who has experience i mean your your parents were blue collar your your parents used to work in factories myself you know i you know i still work i get up at five in the morning i still work every day you know i have a huge uh building we own where we house a lot of different companies you know I'm out there working. I still create my software. In fact, for our campaign, all the technology that we're using, which in fact I created originally for the George Bush campaign, which I have the rights to use for my campaign, you know, would cost millions of dollars. It was all done by me. I still write our own apps. So you're looking at a high-tech blue-collar guy. My parents were blue-collar, you know, high-tech workers. But fundamentally, we need to put working people in power. The American working class should be running this country. People actually are, you know, mechanics, people are teachers, nurses, scientists, people actually invent, build and create should be governing and they should go back to work. We got to get rid of every career politician. That whole system is complete. And celebrities, by the way, you know, celebrities are part of the problem. We've created a culture where we bow down to people who basically exist to manipulate people. And that's what the Hollywood elites are. You have the intellectual elites who try to control narratives and you have the uh, political elites. And that entire collusion of people actually create very little value to anything in America except distracting people, you know? I don't give a damn about the NFL or most of these sports nonsense because most of it distracts people from the realities of problems that they have to deal with, you know? And that's, and so we give way too much emphasis to celebrities, we give way too much emphasis to uh, political people were basically ugly celebrities, as Gore Vidal once said. Um, so that's what we have, you know, and everyday working people who actually get up and create and build and produce and serve should be running this country. And then they should go back to the farm. That's what it was meant to be. And that's how, you know, that's the right way. So our goal is my winning and defeating Elizabeth Warren is about really defeating the establishment. And the goal is to inspire a whole new generation of people to fight and get involved and put an end to career politicians. It should not be a career. It's an honor to serve. It's not a job. Senator is a is not a career. It's a title that you get and then you give it up.
Yeah. That's what it's supposed yeah. to be. And you represent your state. You represent the people. And drain the swamp. And we're 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 we're, we're really lucky. And actually, I should say, Massachusetts is really really lucky that you are. And actually, America. Hopefully, you become a senator, and then you know you'll you'll represent um, you'll represent Massachusetts. But you'll also be able to get rid of. Thing acts like Monsanto, you know the um, the protection the protection act. So we well, we need people it, like it, you in there. Yeah, the re reality is, you see, most of these guys get into office, and all they're concerned about of getting into office again. And in order to get into office again, they need to get funding because many of them don't have a job, right? They don't have. I mean, I'm funding essentially our campaign. We get a lot of people are giving us small donations, which is awesome. But the reality is, these guys need money, and so they can be bought. I can't be bought which also is a major problem to them. So in our case, we need people in there who have no tentacles to them so they can head on head expose companies like Monsanto. They can talk about the military industrial complex. They can talk about how big insurance, how Romney, a Republican and Obama, a Democrat were essentially salespeople for big insurance. And none of these guys know what a pharmaceutical is, what it takes to create. I do. I have a PhD in biological engineering. So I know what the drug development process is. I know what healthcare is. I know what software engineering is. So I don't need consultants. Um, you know, Washington uh, was a surveyor. He actually knew trigonometry. And after he finished his presidency, he went back to being a surveyor. People had skills. You know, Jefferson was an architect. So we need to start really looking at what does this guy actually do? Or this woman, what skills does she have? Elizabeth Warren has, frankly, no skills except to lie, cheat, and steal, and lie, cheat, and steal, and lie, cheat, and steal. That's how she got into Harvard. She lied. She was a Native American, stole actually another Native American's job, you know, said that she's for small banks. She created Dodd-Frank or supported Dodd-Frank, which destroyed 1,200 community banks. She supports Obamacare, which has destroyed hundreds of thousands of small doctors beefed up big hospitals and big pharma. People are complete, complete frauds. Are you able to do DNA testing in your lab in, at, uh, at, at Cytosolve? So you can uh, do we DNA testing on Elizabeth Warren? We have capabilities to do that. We have capabilities to do the modeling. I actually sent, as you know, a DNA test kit to Warren about in the beginning of the campaign. She returned it. I tweeted it out, went viral on the internet. Uh -huh. um, you know, I actually had my DNA test done and it showed not only am I Asian Indian, you know, India from East, from India, but I also have a very small percent of Native American blood. So in many ways, I'm I'm a real Indian. And as I've always said, only a real Indian can beat a fake Indian. And that's what Elizabeth Warren is. Well, how surprising, Democrats lying. That's uh, how unusual. So how can people support you? Well, the best way to support us, you can go to shivaforsenate.com, S-H-I-V-A, the number four, senate.com. Um, you know, if you're all over the country, you know, donate whatever you can. Um, as a show of support. Uh, if you want to volunteer, um, you can support us also. There's a volunteer form on the page, but it's shivaforsenate.com. If you, uh, we have a shop on there, you can get a bumper sticker, buttons, um, et cetera. We may even be selling for Thanksgiving some real Indian corn on there. Awesome. So. Well, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna have all those links below down below. You guys can click on it. You guys can donate, even if it's a dollar, five dollars, just something to help him. And we, this again, Elizabeth Warren is backed by the establishment. She's have she's has major money coming in. I think she has what like five million, seven million behind her. Something she's got like about that. Ten million. ten million. She's already got ten or eleven million. Um, you know, and for both parties, this is really a, a shark frenzy to raise money for their coffers. 
And our view is we want to do this at one-seventh to one-tenth of what they've raised, not only when, but all the technology that we use, Anna, that we are using to win, we want to make it accessible to future candidates. Because the two-party system, they collude and they work together so they own information and they own technology. And so part of the innovation of our campaign is we want to win decisively at one-seventh to one-tenth of their costs. And then whatever we develop, we want to make that accessible to other candidates. So this is really a revolution that's taking place. So we want to win, you know, and beat the establishment. Elizabeth Warren is the, the more insidious part of the establishment. Well, you're, well you're, you're such an inventor and you're such a uh, pusher for truth. And thank you so much, Dr. Shiva, for coming on. America, if you're listening, Massachusetts, if you're listening, you really need to support Dr. Shiva. I mean, this is... We need to drain the swamp, guys. I mean, Donald Trump has started the ball rolling. We need to continue. We need to take back this country, and we need to stand up against against Obamacare. We need to stand up against Monsanto. This is how you do it. You elect people who are actually going to be fighting for you, not for their pocket and for their interests. So, Dr. Shiva, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much, Anna. Thanks for having me. Thank Great you. Good, good, good luck in your race, and we will, we will be definitely tuning in and, and, and watching you. Bye. Good luck. Bye.